I want to talk this morning about one of the pillars of the Christian faith, and that is hope. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, and now three remain, faith, hope, and love. And uh, we talk a lot about faith, and we talk about, a lot about um, love, but we don't often talk about hope. Uh, hope is like oxygen to the soul. You, you can't live without it. If you have hope, you can carry on. If you have hope, you can hold on. And we're living in a time when people lack hope for the future. One of the greatest fears and causes of despair and a feeling of hopelessness is the thought that your life is out of control or that you have no worthwhile future. When that happens, especially when it's tied up with a feeling of worthlessness, people just give up. And I think every one of us would have been in a situation uh, where we have lost our hope for one reason or another. Never in human history have so many had so much for so long and been so depressed about it. Uh, we take more antidepressants than any previous generation, and yet we have more technology, we have more money, we have more gadgets, but we have more fears and we have more worries and we have less hope. And yet uh, the Bible tells us, Romans 15 verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we all know that God is love. That's, that's who he is. But this verse tells us also that not only is God love, but God is hope. It's actually who he is. It's his nature to be the God of hope. And he wants to pour out into us that hope so that we can have hope and joy and peace. And you know, if you have hope, true hope from heaven, you can never navigate any issue, any circumstance in life. So this morning, I really believe that God wants to deposit in each and every one of us here a hope. Uh, not just an optimism, but a hope that comes directly from heaven so that we will be able to live in that hope. And at the end of this message, I'm going to pray for all those people who want more hope in their life. So hope is demonstrated and illustrated in the Bible through people who have hope in hopeless situations. And a great example of hope is the story of a young girl in her 20s called Ruth. And if you haven't ever read the book of Ruth before, it's a short book, only four chapters. And I really encourage you uh, this afternoon to just get alone and just read this and just meditate on it and just see what God is saying and doing about this woman. But to understand the lesson of hope for our lives, we have to go back and we have to understand the story which is written about in the book of Ruth. So... It starts off telling us that there is a lady by the name of Naomi, 
And her and her husband are Jews, and they live in Israel, but things get really, really difficult in Israel. Uh, There's a famine, there's hardship, and so they decide that they will immigrate to another nation, and the nation that they immigrate to is one called Moab. And Moab has been a traditional enemy of Israel. And not only have they fought wars against it, but everything that Moab stands for has been bad. Uh, The Moabites would sacrifice their kids on altars, and they'd do lots and lots of abhorrent things. So going to Moab in general doesn't sound like a very, very good idea. Anyway, the two sons um, and Naomi and her husband shift to Moab, uh, the two boys marry Moabite girls, and then tragedy strikes the family. Naomi's husband dies, uh, then Naomi's two sons die, and she's left with two daughters-in-law, and she doesn't have very many options. And so she's old, er, she won't get remarried, she can't work. She's going to live out her life in pretty much abject poverty. And so she decides that she will go back to Israel. And she gathers her two daughters-in-law together and she says, Listen, I'm going back to Israel, but you two, that's not in your best interest. She says, Go back to your families and you can get married again and you can live a fruitful life. So one of the daughters-in-laws does that, but... The other daughter-in-law, Ruth, is so impacted by Naomi's sacrificial love that she says this. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Wow. She's making a statement of commitment. She's making a statement of hope. She's making a statement of faith. She's making a choice that her life will be lived out by a hope in God and by supporting Naomi. And she's serious about this choice. I mean, she's saying, where you die, I'll die. God imparts hope to us so we are able to make hope-filled choices in hopeless situations. Hope looks at what is unseen. It's not like optimism that weighs up the circumstances and chooses the glass half full rather than the glass half empty. No. Hope looks at what's unseen. It looks at the kingdom of God. It looks at who God is and it looks at his character, the God of hope, and it establishes itself based upon this choice. And it's a choice that we make on a regular basis. Ruth is choosing to move to danger. In the natural, she can't be optimistic because circumstances are not going to get better for her. 
She's the enemy of Israel. When she moves to Israel, there has to be directives given to the workers saying, don't rape her, don't kill her, because she's the enemy, and they can do anything they want to. She's going to be the outcast. But now she has a hope. And a hope changes your outlook on life. Your circumstances may not get better. Your circumstances may even get worse for a season. But your outlook will be completely changed when you have hope within. Your God will be my God, she says. And every day she's going to have to make this choice because she's going to be in a battle. This side of eternity, it can be hard. But every morning we can wake up and say, today I will live by hope in God. I won't fix my eyes on the circumstances, but my hope will be based upon Jesus and who he is. And that's why Romans, uh, sorry, Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We have to hold on unswervingly because there's going to be situations and circumstances that will make holding on difficult. But it's a choice that we make. And we don't hold on in the natural, but we hold it on by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Ruth and Naomi, they move to Israel. Naomi can't work. They don't own any land. They have very few options. But there's a law that God made in Deuteronomy that says that if you own land, don't harvest the outer edges of the land. Let the poor people harvest it. So when they were harvesting the wheat crop, for instance, they would allow the poor people to come in behind the harvesters, and the poor people would be able to um, pick up any wheat that was dropped, and also on the, on the fringes of the land, they would be able to take the wheat that was in the boundaries. Well, Ruth qualifies as a poor person, so she begins to do just what's laid out before her. doesn't look all that exciting. It doesn't seem like this would be an answer to any hope. So Ruth, in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, here's what it says. It says, So Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. It just happened that she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. Okay, Just then... Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. It, it just happened. It, it just happened. It, it's interesting, you know, in, in the book of Ruth, there doesn't appear to be any single obvious miracle. There's no apparent supernatural divine acts of God. Nobody gets raised from the dead. No nature changes no storms get quelled. Uh, no healings are recorded there. But don't think for one moment that God is not thoroughly involved in what's happening. Uh, very often, when we do what looks very normal and ordinary, God is at work on the inside. If you don't have hope and you lose your job, 
you go, why should I even apply for a job? And applying for a job seems to be really normal and ordinary and sometimes we're, we're waiting for some supernatural thing to take place and we get paralysed. I've met lots of people who find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning because of what has happened to them. But most often, when you do the ordinary, God is doing the extraordinary. And it just happens that there are divine coincidences all the time. My my life has been filled with it just happened situations. My life has been filled with divine coincidences. It was a... It just happened that I decided to go to Massey University rather than Auckland University, which had been my plan. It just happens when I was at Massey University that I got injured playing soccer on the very day that I had got invited to a Christian Union camp. It just happened that God used that injury to pour His Holy Spirit out on me, to heal me, to restore me to Himself. It just happened that when I graduate, I was bonded to New Zealand Derry, and so I shifted to Hamilton. It just happened that Penny, who was bonded to the government, shifted back to her hometown at the same time. It just happened that we were going to the same church. It just happened that we went to, and that was the Assembly of the God Church, but it just happened that we were both going to an Anglican prayer meeting. It just happened. It just happened. It just happened. I've told you lots and lots of those just happened stories over the years. So I thought you might like to listen to a just happen from Joel Holm, who's one of the speakers at New Zealand Beyond Conference. And it's a just happened situation about how he was able to adopt uh, his second daughter. So, guys... first daughter, biological daughter, we knew God wanted us to have a family. We had a hope for a family. And then my wife had two miscarriages. Despair can set in. It's really hard. We said, no, we're going to adopt. We went to an agency to apply to adopt, and they said, no, no, you don't qualify. And despair sets in. Choose to hold on to that hope. So I was going to China first time ever, just to kind of explore the land for two weeks, meeting with different pastors, different movements, just to understand what God may be having to do there. Now, follow this story. There's a Christian man who lives in Beijing, China, and he sent a fax, that's how long ago this took place, 20 years, he sent a fax to a ministry in America that doesn't work in China, that they only work in Russia. So this ministry in America gets this fax from somebody they don't know. They don't know why he sent it to them. They don't know how he got their number, and they have nothing to do with China. So they just get this fax. But a week before, it just happened that I was talking to somebody in that ministry. And I mentioned that I was going to China. So it just happened that the guy I was talking to was the guy who got the fax. He said, oh, I'll just forward it on to Joel Holm. He's going to China. It just happened that that fax came to my office one hour before I went to get on a plane to go to China. 
So I grabbed the fax and I just stuck it into my briefcase. And the fax was basically the name of this guy, his office number, and would you please come work in China. I stuck it in the bottom of my briefcase. I went to China and I traveled around for two weeks just exploring the land. Well, God, what would you have me do here? I'm in Beijing on the day I'm flying home, but I have a flight late in the afternoon and it's in the morning and I've got nothing to do and it's a national holiday, so everything is closed. So I thought, I got nothing to do. I'm going to repack my bags. So I decided to repack my bags, and it just happens that this fact sheet of paper that I'd stuffed in the bottom literally fell out. And I remembered it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about it. But I looked at it and thought, it's just his business line. Everything's closed. It's the national holiday. I thought, well, I'll give him a ring anyways. I'll leave a voicemail. It just happened that on his way home, he stopped at his office literally for two minutes just to pick up some papers. And it just happened that I rang him while he was in the office for two minutes. And it just happened that rather than letting the voicemail pick it up, he decided he would pick up the phone. We began to talk. He said, Joel, I would love to sit down and talk to you about China, have a cup of tea with you. But this is Beijing, China. It's a city of 30 million people. You know, you could be two hours away. Where's your hotel? It just happened that my hotel was right next door to his office. <laughs> Don't clap yet. I'm not done. It just happened that I could walk out of my hotel, walk into his office. It just happened that he was an international lawyer specializing in adoptions. When I'm telling him my story, he goes, you know what, Joel? I can get you a child, you and your wife, and I'm going to waive all of my fees, $12,000, because of what you do. I was blown away. I get on a plane. I fly home that evening to Chicago. My wife meets me at the airport. We get into the car. I said, before you drive away, i got to tell you a story. And I tell her the story, and she is weeping and weeping because of the goodness of God. We hold hands and we pray, and it just happened that at that day was the day our daughter Lisa from China was born. Now, this is a just-happened God. Do not diminish the ordinary when we have an extraordinary God working behind the scenes. It just happened. <laughs> Some of you here need to receive hope. And choose hope. And then just do what looks really mundane and expect God to be actively working. Ruth just does what she needs to do to feed her and Naomi. And she just happens to be in Boaz's field at the very time that Boaz turns up from Bethlehem. It just happens that they meet and Boaz gives her lots of extra food. And Ruth takes it back to Naomi and Naomi thinks, I wonder if this is the guy that God will move through. There are two laws that God has made that the Israelites live by. One is called the Kingsman Redeemer Law. The law states that if your family loses its land for whatever reason, and somebody in your clan can buy that land back for you, then they can give you that land. And the second law says that if you're married 
and your husband dies before giving you children, then one of his family members, brothers, uncles, can marry you and give you children for your lineage. And Naomi realized that that this guy, Boaz, he qualifies on both these accounts. He could buy the land back for them. So she tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor and meet with Boaz at night. But think about what they would be asking Boaz to do. They'll be asking Boaz to buy the land at a very high price, that land that won't be his. He'll have to give it back to Naomi's family. Then they're asking him to marry a pagan and then make her an heir of all his wealth, even though she's done nothing to help contribute to it. Who, who would ever do such a thing? Well, Jesus would. Because we're just like Ruth. Jesus came at great cost to himself. He bought us back. The Bible says literally he made us his wife when we were outcasts. While we were yet sinners. We were the unholy, unrighteous ones. And he made us an heir to all of his kingdom resources, even though we did nothing to contribute to them. And there's this picture of the immensity of the love of Jesus. But in the natural, this is a completely outrageous suggestion. So Ruth does the unthinkable. She meets Boaz after dark. He's in the threshing floor. He's just laying down to go to sleep after a um, hard day. And she comes up to him and she literally proposes marriage. They didn't even date. We know what that's like, don't we? (laughs) Now, when you see the story, you'll see the language that she uses. She says, throw your garment over me. Okay, well, that's just, let me interpret it for the young guys here. Uh, That's an idiom for saying, let's hook up. (laughs) Let's get married. That's what she's basically saying. Uh, Nobody, nobody would ever do such a thing. It's so countercultural. It's so outrageous. but, But Ruth does. And sometimes when you choose hope and then you act on hope, God has to do the mundane because then it's an extraordinary God working behind the scenes. But sometimes he has to do something outrageous, an act of faith. But you do it because of the hope that you have. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. You see these stories of boldness and outrageous acts all the way through the New Testament. In Mark chapter 5, for instance, we... We read about a lady who has been bleeding for 12 years. And in that culture, she's unclean. She's not allowed to go out in public. She's not allowed to be with people because she's unclean. She can't go to the temple and worship. But she has a hope in a coming Messiah. 
And she hears about Jesus and she goes out in the public and she literally fights through the crowds just to touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because she knew that the prophet Malachi had said, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with healing in his wings. And the word wings there literally means the tassels, the, um, you know what tassels are? Yep, the tassels on the bottom of the Messiah's garment, that's where the healing is going to come. And so she thinks, I don't care about the stigma. I'm going to fight through the crowd. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. She acts on a hope and she is healed. Penny and I are here today because 32 years ago, I left my high-playing job to become a minister. My millionaire aunt, who, by the way, I got nothing from when she died, <laughs> was absolutely shocked in the natural. She basically, I can still picture her sitting in our lounge saying, why would you do a stupid thing like that? It seemed so outrageous. But it was God's plan for us. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. The God of hope, the God of hope gives us a future and he fills us with hope. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is being certain of what we hope for. Ruth had this hope that caused her to go to Boaz and say, let's get married. And Boaz seems keen for it. But then he says, listen, Ruth, I've found out there's somebody else in the village who is actually closer, more in line to do these things than what I am. So you're just going to have to wait until I sort it out. And Ruth goes back to Naomi and she's flustered and she's kind of upset saying, well, I stepped out in faith, I did this outrageous thing, and now I have to wait. And Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened. I chose hope, I act in hope, then I've got to wait. How many people here love waiting? I hate waiting. I hate, I can't stand it. It's, it's like the worst thing on this planet to wait. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate driving behind slow drivers. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of amens going on over there. I hate waiting for my internet. It's too slow. And no matter how fast it'll get, it's still too slow. And Ruth chooses hope, and then Ruth has to wait. People drift into despair while they wait. We think waiting is simply what we do as a lever to get our problem solved. And once our problem is solved, we don't have to wait anymore. I went to the doctor the other week for my annual skin checkup. And I was ushered into his office, 
And I said to him, Doctor, I said, this is the first time in the city in 23 years that I've been ushered into a doctor's office early. <laughs> Normally, I have to wait. And you're waiting in the doctor's waiting uh, room, and the nurse pokes her head around the door, or the doctor comes in, and he calls out somebody's name, and you, you're sort of thinking, oh, is it me, is it me? And uh, you think... You look at your watch and you think, I could be doing better things. And then as half an hour goes by, you think, I wonder if I should charge him. And what will my charge out rate be for half an hour of my time, etc. And you go through all these things. But the reality is, while we wait, things happen. One of my favorite films is While You Are Waiting. And it, um, it goes along with Sleepless in Seattle and that, that string of um, films, you know what they're like. People don't realize that a lot of things happen while you're waiting. Uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We think we are waiting for God to bring an answer. He wants to bring himself. When you wait, God is active, but he's not just active in resolving your need or your desire. He wants to be active in you. He wants to bring himself and he transforms you and brings that joy and that peace that Romans 15 talks about. And when he does that, he does it in you. And what he does in you will sustain you through any crisis, through any season. Christ will be formed in you. But you've got to recognize that in the season of waiting. The story doesn't end with waiting. When you get to the end of the book, you discover that Ruth and Boaz, they get married. And they have a child named, anyone know? Obed, very good. And God answers their prayers and their desires and their hope on two levels. Level one is where their needs and desires are. They get the land, they get the marriage, they get the son. And you have a need, you have a desire, and God's going to answer that need and that desire that healing that you uh, need, that job that you need, meaning that relationship. He's going to answer that. But Ruth and Boaz had no idea that their son would be the grandfather of King David. And of course, David is in the royal line to Jesus. So this previously pagan Moabitess from a tribe that sacrificed children to their gods becomes part of the messianic lineage which results in the birth of Jesus who came to save mankind from their sin. How awesome is that? that God can take what would seem to be an absolutely hopeless situation and turn it into an eternally hopeful 
situation. There's always a greater story that God is wanting to do in and through our lives. Romans 15, 13 again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, he just doesn't want us just to have hope so that we can navigate through one or two situations or circumstances in life. It's about a God of hope pouring so much hope into us that it's more than we can contain and it flows out of us into the world. The world needs a tangible witness of the difference God makes, not just through answering our needs, but how we navigate above those needs in hope. Even when the need still is there, they look at us and they want to see how we handle the crises that we have to go through. Where are we getting that joy from? Where are we getting that peace from in hopeless situations? Where's it coming from?